I've been wondering where the Timothy bumper video went. Hopefully that just explained that. Uh, we're not going to be in Timothy today, okay? Um, we've been in it all of 2021. We'll be in it next week, okay? But today is a unique day for the church, and uh, so we're going to take some time uh, to recognize that, and we'll let you know what that is here in a few seconds. But we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one in the seat backs in front of you. If you get to page 1025, you'll be right where we're at. Um, and so I want to thank each and every one of you for coming. Thank our worship team for leading us uh, through worship, and Steve for leading us through communion, and I don't think Bailey's back up here yet, but can we let her know one more time just how thankful we are for the decision she made to follow Jesus today? I think that was loud enough that she could hear it, so thank you for that, and um, I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer as we launch out on this. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for the opportunity any time that we get to gather as your people. We're grateful for the chance uh, to observe and commemorate what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf uh, through communion. And we're grateful to celebrate um, uh, new life in you and people following you in obedience in baptism. And so we're, we're already, our hearts are full today. Um, and so as we turn our attention to what, uh, what is a heavy topic today, we pray that, uh, that you would be the one that just kind of speaks now, that you would, uh, you would be the one who moves and convicts and encourages, that you would, um, you would lift us up from your word uh, through your spirit and uh, that we would respond in ways that, you, uh, that, that would honor you this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, a man named uh, Barnabas Musana, along with his wife and three kids, uh, was sent by the Church of Christ to, uh, to, to a plant and lead a church in the Namwinda village in Uganda about seven years ago. As a pastor, Musana uh, was dedicated to sharing the hope of Jesus in this, in this village, and, and one of his early strategies was to start having um, public outreach events kind of in the town square near the well. And so he'd hold these, these really public Q&A sessions. And on one such occasion, he was asked a question about the differences between religion, and then, and then the questions got more and more specific until eventually he answered a question by saying this. He said, well, Jesus is the Son of God and therefore is greater than the prophet Muhammad. And immediately, a mob of men were enraged by this, and they tried to capture and beat him. And he was able to barely escape and had to go into hiding for a few weeks until things just sort of settled down. And he began to become concerned about his family, but he wanted to keep sharing the gospel. And so he decided what he needed to do was change strategies. And so instead of having these really public events out in, 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 a, in a major forum, he, he decided he was going to shift and use his church as a training hub, where uh, he, would, he would shift his focus to training up the local believers as evangelists, and then have them start uh, small groups in their homes where they could then answer questions about the Christian faith from their neighbors and friends, but not in a public forum that could lead to a similar reaction than what he got. And so he spent a year or two training these uh, believers, and then he sent them out to start these groups, and it paid tremendous dividends. Right? More and more people uh, started attending these group gatherings in homes around the village, and within just a few months, 15 souls had converted from Islam to Christianity, and many of those 15 are now currently going through training to be evangelists in their homes as well. And then what happened was as, as word started spread, people of, of different faiths and no faiths were finding Pastor Busana and coming to him for prayer. And it was all working really smoothly until last month when his body was found by a river strangled to death. And one of the two men who were arrested for this crime claimed that Allah would reward them for killing Pastor Busana with the highest level of heaven right next to the prophet himself. Now according to Open Doors and March for the Martyrs, 2020 was the fourth consecutive year 
that persecution, persecution of Christians rose. The total number of Christians that were persecuted over that year increased over 30% from the year before. The total number killed increased over 60% from the year before. And it's not all from one source, and it's not all from one religion, it's not all from one place. Right? Pew Research in 2019 released a report that said government persecution of all religions, not just Christianity, but all religions is reaching an all-time high. And in a study they did of 198 countries, 91% of them reported at least one incident of government harassment and oppression against religious groups. Just last month, three pastors in central India were beaten by a mob of Hindu extremists, saying the pastors had been active in converting Hindus to Christianity. It's coming from every direction. And today, whether you know or not, today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And this is a topic that's always incredibly unsettling for American Christians because we just don't know how to handle it. We really don't know how to respond. Number one, we're heartbroken at the suffering and loss and hurt of our brothers, our brothers and sisters are enduring around the world. But secondly, then we feel helpless, right? Because what are we supposed to do about it? There's very little that we can do about it other than what we're going to do today. And then thirdly, what always comes with it that we really don't like talking about is just sort of an overabundance of guilt, right? That they're, in, in looking at their dedication, look at their level of commitment to the faith, it makes some of the costs that we refuse to endure seem like nothing. And so what happens is that it's just more comfortable for us to just distance ourselves and not think about it and disassociate emotionally from this. It's why very few people like leaning into this and dwelling on it. But today we're going to lean into it. Today we're going we're gonna to dwell on it. And I don't have a clear-cut answer for you about how you should process all those different things and all those different feelings. I don't, have, I don't have a perfect formula for you this morning. But there's two things, right? There's two things that I want to do today. Does anybody else hear that? <laughs> is, there, is there a mini helicopter taking off, right? All right. So there's two things. That, there's two goals we have today. And the first is what the day's all about. We're going to pray. Okay, it's what we can do, and it's, by the way, incredibly effective, and it's what we're going to do as a church this morning. But the second thing before we have that time is I want us to just try to understand how. And here's what I mean about this. How do they keep going? How do they keep gathering? How do they keep meeting? How do they keep enduring? When their faith is costing them that much, how is it that they just keep going? What gives them such strength in the face of adversity? How is that possible? Because even though we live in the land of freedom and we should be thankful for that, right? Our faith is still going to be tested. Maybe at a different level, maybe in different ways. But every single one of us living in a sin-stained world, we're all going to face hardships. We're all going to face trials. We're all going to face pressures. We're all going to face sufferings and more. And so if there's something that, that uh, the persecuted church is clinging to this morning, right, there's something that, that's giving them a hope and endurance that endures through all of that, that's a truth that we can cling to because we all serve the same Christ and we all have the same word and we all have the same truth. All right? And so I want us to know what that is. I want us to, to wrap our minds around this and, and, and suit up for this because what I've discovered is that the armor of God works best when it's already on. And so we're going to try to do that this morning. So I'm going to invite uh, Ruth Peelman up today to read today's passage for you. She's going to be reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 18. And as she makes her way up here, uh, would you please stand with her for the reading of God's word this morning? Morning, Ruth. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. 
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you, Ruth. You guys can have a seat. Keep your Bible open right there to 2 Corinthians 4. And just so you know, part of the reason that we like going through books verse by verse is because it's killing me not today, uh, not to be able today to tell you that we're going to spend the next 16 weeks on this chapter, all right? Um, but I'm going to try to keep my uh, eyes on the target this morning and understand what we're here for. So again, we have two goals this morning. We, we will, as a church, pray for the persecuted church this morning, and we'll challenge you to do so uh, individually and as families later today. And we're also trying to answer the question is, if there's something that brings them through, right, what is that so we can identify that and cling to? Right, there's something that's given an estimated 70 million Christians the ability to stay true to their faith to the point of death, right? What gives that kind of strength and resolve? And I think we find the answer here in 2 Corinthians 4 because the first that we see is that the power is God's, not our own. I don't know if you noticed that, that contrast in, in verse 7 that we have this treasure in, in what are jars of clay, right? And so as we live for Christ, as we serve him, as we share his gospel, Hardships come and sufferings come because life happens wherever you are. But God has always chosen to use fragile and broken vessels for the deliverance of his life and his hope and his truth. I mean, think of it. We, we exist within these sin-stained, weak, temporary bodies. Right? We all have our sinful natures. We also have all the desires of our flesh that we have to fight against. But then when we place our faith in Jesus, we're not just forgiven. We're not just granted eternal life. But God's Holy Spirit comes and literally takes up residence in our souls. And so what we have is this eternal, powerful, immortal presence taking up residence in our sinful, weak, mortal bodies. Right, then you have the church. The church of Jesus is chock full of imperfect sinners right, who will not get everything right, who, who, will do, who mess things up, who all, have, who all, all who have bodies that will fall apart, all of whom will die, all of whom have temporary roles. And yet what we're commissioned with as the church of Jesus is the full weight of the glory of the gospel, which is the good news of Christ that results in eternal life. Once again, it's a treasure in a jar of clay. We have this great irony, God's presence within sinful people, the eternal message of the gospel carried out by people who are all temporary, but that same irony comes to our defense when we're facing suffering. Because if you look at verse 16, we're told that even though our outer persons waste away, that inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So as these jars of clay break down what is eternal, what is lasting, what is the most true will not fail us, right? Because what is giving us strength to endure is not our own, but it's God himself. 
Later in this book, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing about something he called a thorn in the flesh. He described it as something that was tormenting his body. And it says, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But this was Christ's answer to him in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul's conclusion to that is, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. I want you to know the followers of Jesus right, who are facing difficult times have found this sentiment to be the most trustworthy truth in creation. We got a room full of people here today that in a world where pain and loss and suffering and tragedy are literally a breath away that they could all testify that this is true, that his grace was sufficient, that his presence was what I needed to take the next breath, to take the next step, to face the next hour and then to face the next day, that his power truly was perfect in my weakness because it's his power, not ours. Secondly, we see here that the follower of Christ is never ultimately defeated. Look at verse 8. He writes, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. I want you to take note of that list and, and note that nothing in there is fun. Nothing in there is anything you'd sign up for. That Paul says, We are afflicted in every way. We're perplexed, we're confused. We don't even know why we're going through this. We're, we're persecuted. The targets are coming at us from every direction and we've been struck down again and again and again. He goes on in verse 10 to say that they're literally, they're carrying the death of Jesus in their bodies. So I need you to know this morning, this isn't one of those have enough faith and all your problems will disappear messages because those messages aren't biblical. They aren't. Right? The Bible is overt and clear that suffering comes with life in this sinful world. It's not easy. It's not fun. It's really hard. And nobody would choose it, but it's a reality. Okay? And the message of the Bible is not that God is going to erase your grief, that he's going to erase your suffering, that he's going to erase your pain. The message of the Bible is that God will absolutely be with you through it and he will redeem it. Because suffering and trials and even death do not get the final word in his kingdom, not for those who are in Jesus. Listen, within the first couple of years of ministry, I had to do a funeral that is unlike any funeral I've still had to do since. It was a 19-year-old girl who, who died, and she was born with a genetic malformation, which meant her entire life she never spoke an audible word. She never walked. She never stood. She never crawled. She had hardly any communication at all. She could never feed herself. This was her reality for 19 years. And her family were all followers of Jesus, and they had shown tremendous love and care for her. And so my first strategy, thinking through what we would say at the funeral, was just really just to honor them. But as we got close to the service, I, I could not help but think about everything that she was experiencing for the very first time in heaven with Jesus. Right? The tongue that could not speak here was flowing with eloquence there singing and shouting the praises of our Lord. The, mo the mind that was limited here was sparkling with endless creativity there. The limbs that could not even move here were defining grace and beauty there. And her life, though incredibly hard, was not even worth comparing to the glory she's gonna experience for all eternity there. And that is the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. If your Bible's open to 2 Corinthians 4, look down at 2 Corinthians 5 in verse one. And he writes this, for we know that if our earthly tent, that's your earthly body, we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. And so here's the reality in verse four of, of chapter five. Indeed, we groan while we're in this tent, burdened as we are. Can you relate that this morning? 
groaning and burdened through this life? Because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed. And here's the promise. So that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Jesus says to Martha in John 11, the one who believes in me will live even if he dies because the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Listen, life can bring some really heartbreaking, awful things. And it's not my intention this morning to downplay them at all. In fact, it's to point them out and realize their reality. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you cannot and will not ever be ultimately defeated because the empty tomb of Jesus is your answer. It's the answer for every drop of suffering. It's the answer for every trial, parting, and grief. We have been given the victory in Jesus. And so we can take this mindset. And the third thing I want you to see here is that by suffering well, we actually display the glory and life of Jesus. Look, look at what he writes in verse 10. He says, we always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. And here's, in verse 15, here's how he wraps it up. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Now, as we've been trying to talk about all morning, there's a tremendous difference between Jesus and everything else. You're going to hear that throughout the day. And one of the ways this is most clearly seen is through human suffering. Right, because when we suffer, right, Jesus has two promises for us through that. Uh, number one, he's with us through it. And that's why in verse 16 it says that even though our outer person is wasted away, our inner person can be renewed. And secondly, he has an answer to it, which is why in verse 14 he says that the, this very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise us. This is why followers of Jesus have a unique capacity to suffer well. Or as 1 Thessalonians 4 puts it, when we grieve, we do not grieve like those without hope. Because we're never hopeless. Our outer person can be destroyed, but our soul is being renewed. We can be afflicted, but we are not crushed. We can be perplexed, but not sink into despair. We can be persecuted and not destroyed. We can be devastated, sick, hurting, and weak, but not defeated. And when we suffer well, when we cling to those very truths, when we share the hope we have and resist bitterness and find rest in his arms, then what we are doing is displaying the goodness, grace, and sufficiency of Jesus to others. We become billboards for his goodness. Let me ask you, are you not inspired this morning by our brothers and sisters who are facing persecution? Are you not moved by them? Are you not, are you not thankful for all who have literally given their lives for our faith? Are you, does that not at least cause you to do some introspection and question your level of commitment and inspire you to serve Christ in, some, in the same way? Here's another question. What if the suffering that you're enduring right now wasn't just something awful to endure? What if it was more than that? What if it became purposeful, right, by giving you a means to display Christ's goodness to those around you? Would that not help you? Now, here in a few minutes, we're going we're to go to the Lord together in prayer for the persecuted church. But before we do that, I, I want to speak to those in the midst of the fire right now. And I want to address the rest of you because, sadly to say, in this world, you're going to be there soon enough. So the question is, what do, what do we do as followers of Jesus in those times? 
And, and before we land on that, just a one quick aside this morning. If, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then what you need to know is that's your most important need today. Right? Because apart from Jesus Christ, there really is very little redemption and suffering. It's just something you've got to endure. And more importantly than that, much more importantly than that, we owe God a debt for the sins in our life. And so you, you owe God a debt for the sins in your life this morning. Sin is the reason that suffering exists. It's the reason why pain and illness and death and tragedy exist. And if that sin is not taken care of, we will face an eternity paying the price for that sin in hell. And the only way to have that price paid is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And the reason why it's only through faith in Jesus Christ is because he's the only one who took on human form. He's the only one who lived a sinless life. And so he's the only one whose death can pay the price for the sins of other people. He's also the only one who rose from his own grave. And so if you have not turned from living for yourself or believing in yourself or turned from your life of sin and believed in Jesus Christ, there's no greater need in your life this morning than that. There's no important, more important decision you need to make in that. Consider the picture of baptism we saw this morning where someone is, is buried from their old way of life and raised to new life in Jesus with the, with the washing. The baptism is meant to signify the washing of their sins away. Only Jesus Christ can do that for you. And so you need to know that is your greatest need today. Right? But if you're one of those with that in place, okay, then the question we're trying to answer this morning is how do we respond to suffering? And so there's three encouragements I have for you. And the first is a simple one. It's just keep going. Just keep going. His power is made perfect in your weakness. You may be afflicted in every way, but you're not crushed. And you're not abandoned. And he will never leave you or forsake you. And I want you to take note this morning of, do you know what, what Jesus' strategy was when he taught us how to pray? He told us to pray for what we needed on that day. Give us this day our daily bread. It's the same Jesus who said, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow has enough trouble, uh, today has enough trouble of its own, so don't, don't, don't even worry about tomorrow. You know, you know what he's trying to get you, to, to the mindset he's trying to get his followers to be in, is to ask the Lord to give you strength for this day. And if it's hard enough, ask him to give you strength for this next hour, or this next moment, or at times maybe the very next breath. And I promise you, if you do that long enough, you will one day be able to look back and realize how he carried you through this time. How he was always out in front, that, that nothing in your future surprises him. And so he's already out in front taking care of you in ways that you don't know, which is why when you're in the throes of it, you need grace not for the future, you need grace for the moment. And so invite his grace to cover you today. Secondly, invite the Lord to complete his work. Listen, if suffering and grief and loss and pain and sickness and all these things are inevitable in this life, and they are, then I don't know about you, but I would really want my suffering to count for something. I would rather accomplish something. I'd rather for it to be redeemed and used by God than it to be just a complete waste that I just have to endure. And so I, I don't want to waste any trial because then it does become futile. And here's what James chapter 1 says about this. He says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, Ridiculous sentence, right? So few people would do that. Consider it great joys, guys, when you go through terrible trials. And here's why, verse three. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Did you catch what was in there? There's a promise and an invitation. Right? The promise is this, that the testing of your faith Right, this trial you're going through will produce endurance, that this trial is strengthening you, it, it, is, it is enriching you, it's refining you in your abilities to glorify God. And here's the invitation. The invitation is this. 
go ahead and let it have its effect. Allow it to have its its intended effect. Don't get in the way of it. Don't resist it. Ask God to use this suffering to the fullest transformative effect in your life and in your heart and your soul and mind. Ask him to use it to mature you and strengthen you and refine you. Ask him to not let this go by without letting it have its intended effect. And then lastly, fix your gaze on the eternal. Do you know that the diameter of the sun is 864,938 miles? The sun is so big that you could today like line up 109 earths across its surface. It's massive. And yet today, if it's a sunny day, you could go stand outside and cover the entire sun with your thumb. There's not a person in here, I think, that would argue that their thumb is bigger than the sun. But you can cover the entire thing. Why? Because it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of closeness. There's a reason that Philippians 4 tells us to think about the things that are honorable and excellent and good and praiseworthy and trustworthy. There's a reason that Hebrews 12 tells us that we should fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. There's a reason Paul and his ministry teammates could endure through such tremendous suffering. Did you hear what what it is? Look at verse 17 again. He says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. They viewed their lives, they viewed their sufferings, they viewed their trials through the prism of eternity. And did you see the shift? Verse 8 and verse 9, what were they? They were afflicted, they were perplexed, they were struck down. Right? They're persecuted. They were carrying the death of Jesus in their body. But when their gaze settled on eternity, what did all that become? Momentary light affliction. So, that was so momentary and so light that it's not even worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that is to come. And so their resolve was that their focus would remain on what is unseen and eternal, on that which is really true. Listen, all around our world, our brothers and sisters in Christ are being harassed. They're being dragged out of their homes. They're being beaten and arrested and jailed. They're being kidnapped and tortured and killed. And they keep going. And they keep meeting. And they keep gathering. And they keep praying. And they keep soaking up the word. And they keep sharing the hope of the gospel. And they're counting their lives as nothing and counting Christ as everything. And so you need to know, it is our honor to go before the Lord on their behalf today. But as we do, we need to recognize that their source of endurance, right, the flame of their hope is the exact same Jesus and the exact same gospel and the exact same truth that we have in fullness this morning. What carries them is the same faith that can carry us through our challenges and our trials and our tragedies. So keep going. Be sure to invite the Lord to keep complete his work and fix your eyes on the eternal. And you, I promise you, that you're going to find his grace to be sufficient too. Let's pray. Father, it is an honor to be associated with the name of Jesus alongside those who are suffering persecution, God. It, it is not something that we've ever experienced at, at that level in this country. And, and I'm not even, I don't even care to guess whether we ever will. But God, to know there are our brothers and sisters around the world are holding true to this faith in the face of extreme pressure, in the face of extreme torment, in the face of extreme suffering, it's a moving thing. And so God, as a pastor, nothing 
moves me quite like seeing our people suffer well. And Lord, I thank you that, that in Jesus Christ and in your spirit and in your word, you have given us an answer to every drop of suffering in this life. God, you've given us a solution to every trial that we have to endure. You've given us a hope that conquers everything this world can throw at us. And so for anybody in our midst, Lord, who's, who's under, the, under the press right now, who's going through the fire, would, would they cling to those truths this morning? Would they have the same resolve, the same endurance, the same persistence uh, that, that our persecuted brothers and sisters have? Would they invite you this morning to, to, to use this trial to, to its fullest intended effect in their life? And may they fix their eyes on you and on eternity today. We thank you for the hope of the gospel and what it means in overcoming this world. And we pray this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, at this point, Pastor Adam's going to lead us through a time, uh, to a corporate time together of prayer for the persecuted church. And so I'm going to turn it over to him. Thanks, Brett. And uh, as he said, we're going to end the service a little differently today. We're not going to end with a song, but we're going to end with a, a corporate time of prayer um, where we just incline our hearts to those who are suffering um, in the name.